Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Islamic History Exclusive. This is the podcast for members of the Islamic History Podcast Patreon subscribers, exclusively for you guys. We are discussing the life of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right now, we are we are on episode twenty one, discussing the fourth year of the Hijra. These events take place after the Battle of Uhud and is uh, leading up to the next major battle, which will be the Battle of the Trench. But we have lots of events between Uhud and uh, Al-Khandaq, which is the Battle of the Trench. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the expedition of Araraji. And, uh, well, let's get into it. Let's discuss it. Okay, so first of all, this is now the fourth year of the Hijrah. It begins around uh, June 625 CE. And the expedition of Raji takes place in the month of Safar. Safar is the second month of the Islamic calendar. And by the way, listeners, um, I'm just getting over a cold. So if I sound a little nasally, it's because I'm probably still got a little bit of congestion within me. But anyway, the expedition of Raji takes place in Safar 4AH. Safar 4 after the Hijrah. Though I have seen some... That mentioned it took place in the 3 AH, but I don't really think so. I think it was more uh, 4 AH, basically four years after the Hijrah rather than three years after the Hijrah. But in any case, it was early in the year of 4 AH. Anyway, a group of men from some pagan clans, they came to visit Prophet Muhammad وسلم, in Medina. And they claimed that they, when they met the Prophet, they said that they had Muslims within their clan that said that they were Muslim. They had they had Muslims within their clan and that they needed people to come to their clan and teach them. Come to their, They wanted the Prophet to send some of his companions to their clan to teach them about Islam. And so the Prophet agreed and he chose about six companions to go um, to this pagan clan or to this well, I guess the, the clan has some Muslims within it, within them. He sent about six Muslims to go there. Now, so there are some narrations that say ten, but I, I only found the names of six. So we're going to stick with with it being six. Now, the names of these six Muslims were, I'm not going to say their whole names. They just have their first names. But just to make it easier for you to follow along with the story. Marthad, Khalid, Asim, Khubayb, Zaid, Abdullah, and uh, yeah, Abdullah ibn Tariq. So that's the six of them. Marthad, Khalid, Asim, Khubayb, Zaid, and Abdullah ibn Tariq. Okay, there are a few of the names become significant in a while, and you'll see what I mean. So the delegation they um they leave with the companions, the pagan delegation and the companions. They leave and they go traveling for for a while, and after some time, the companions, the six men, they're resting, and suddenly they are ambushed by one hundred armed men from the Hudel clan. The Hudel clan were another group of pagans. Basically, all of these different pagans were working together. The ones who went to the Prophet asking for help or asking for him to, to send them teachers, as well as these 100 companions who rushed out to ambush them. And so the, the uh, six companions, they realize that they're about to be ambushed. And so they grab their swords and they run to a top of a nearby hill for defensive reasons. If they're on top of a hill, because you can see, you can kind of imagine how if you're on top of a hill, it's easier to defend yourself from people coming up. And so, the, compa- the companions run to a top, of, run to, run to, a t- to top of the hill, and they're ready to fight to the death. And so, the pagans, about hundred of them now, they are they are surrounding the bottom of the hill, and they swear 
to the um, companions that they don't want to kill them. Pagan's Pagan's promising that we don't want to kill you. We just want to basically trade you for money, which is kind of the same thing as killing them, basically. And you see what I mean by that. And so um, several of the six companions, remember, three of them are like, we're not going to trust the word of a pagan. And they refuse to leave. And they intend on fighting to the death. And that's exactly what they did. So three of them, uh, they were Marthad, Khal, and Asim. They go and they fight uh, the pagans until they die. So there's three of them against 100, compa- uh, 100 pagans. And so those three com- um, companions died. The last three, Zaid, Khubayb, and Abdullah ibn Tariq, however, they surrender. So Khubayb, um, Zaid, and Abdullah ibn Tariq, they surrender to the pagans and they are taken to Mecca. So this is what the whole pagan plan was in the first place. They wanted to get some of the companions and take them to Mecca and sell them to some of the Quraysh who wanted revenge. That was their whole plan. So on their way to Mecca, however, one of these companions, Abdullah ibn Tariq, his hands were tied behind his back with a bowstring from a, like a bow and arrow. Um, and he broke free and he tried to escape. The pagans caught up with him and he refused once again to be captured. And he fought basically until he was killed. And they buried Abdullah ibn Tariq right out there in the middle of the desert. The other two, however, Khubayb and Zaid, they were taken on to Mecca and then they were sold. They, when I say sold, I don't mean sold into slavery, but there are many families in Mecca, the pagan Quraysh, who wanted revenge on the Muslims for the death of their family members at both the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud. Uh, so just keep in mind, this is a tribal society, and for these uh, pagan Arabs, these pagan Quraysh, um, tribalism and family lineage those things are taken seriously and so they had actually when the pagans who ambushed them had no real beef against the muslims the muslims were not at war with them or anything like that they just saw an opportunity to make some money and so they they hatched they um hatched this great plot to lure some muslims out there capture them take them to mecca sell them in exchange for some money and make a few bucks so we'll talk about two of these companions and what happened to them. The first was Zaid ibn uh, Zaid ibn Dathina, and he, I mentioned one was one of the names was Zaid, the other one was Khubay. We'll talk about their lives and oh well, the last minutes of their lives um, in a little more detail. Now Zaid ibn Dathina, both of these two men who are sold to the Quraysh, they have interesting backstories. Zaid ibn Dathina, he was uh, from among the Ansar. Now, here is why he was wanted in Mecca. Um, he was purchased when the pagans brought Zaid to Mecca. He was purchased by one of the pagan Quraysh named Safwan ibn Umayyah. Safwan ibn Umayyah wanted revenge for the death of his, for the death, death of his father Umayyah ibn Khalaf at the Battle of Badr. So, if you need to, if that name sounds familiar to you. Um, I'm not surprised. Let me explain why. Umayyah ibn Khalif was the former master of Bilal ibn Rabah, who was the muaddin for Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And if you know the story of Bilal, you know that after he accepted Islam, his master tortured him for several days by leaving him in the hot sun and in the desert, by the way, where temperature easily gets over 100 degrees and placing huge boulders on top of him in the middle of the hot desert. He did this for several times and he whipped him mercilessly also until Abu Bakr finally purchased his freedom. So Umayyah ibn Khalaf had tortured Bilal for a long time after Bilal converted to Islam. Now, Umayyah ibn Khalaf was a merchant. We mentioned the merchant class of, of Mecca and how the whole society was built around this wealthy merchant class. Well, Umayyah ibn Khalaf was a close friend of the companion Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Abdurrahman ibn Auf was one of the uh, ten companions promised paradise, but Abdurrahman ibn Auf was a merchant also. He's also part of that wealthy merchant class. And it's natural that there would be Muslims and pagans at this time who had close relationships and who had close friendships and who were uh, put on opposite sides once Islam came. Anyway, despite the differences in, in faith, Umayy ibn Khalaf and Abdurrahman ibn Auf were still fairly friendly. Well, Umayyah ibn um, Khala decides to partake in the Battle of Badr. The Battle of Badr go happens and things start going bad for the pagans and eventually Umayyah ibn Khalaf, he is captured while at Badr. But he knows that his friend Abdurrahman ibn Auf is on the Prophet's side and so he asks him, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, to protect him and basically ransom him. Um, Umayyah ibn Khalaf is a wealthy person. He knows that eventually his family will send the money and he'll be able to go back home safe and sound. And Abdurrahman ibn Auf, being an old friend, even though Abdurrahman ibn Auf is Muslim and Umayyah ibn Khalaf is a pagan, Abdurrahman ibn Auf promises to protect him and keep him there. However, the battle is kind of winding down and Bilal, he sees Umayyah with the other prisoners of war. And Bilal remembers the torture that he suffered under Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Bilal has no intention of letting this man get back to Mecca alive. No way whatsoever. But Bilal also sees that he's being, well, the prisoners of war are being protected, of course, and also Abdurrahman ibn Auf is one of them. Now, I'm, I don't know if Bilal ibn Rabah knew that Abdurrahman ibn Auf had guaranteed Umayyah ibn Khalaf his protection. I don't know that. But certainly, Bilal, he saw Umayyah was among the groups of prisoners. He knew that Umayyah could be ransomed, and Bilal had no intention of letting him, letting him go back to Mecca alive. So Bilal, he goes to some of the Ansars, and a group of Ansars, battle's winding down right now, so people are kind of just winding about, maybe picking up um, um, booty of war and stuff like that, trying to figure out what to do next. Bilal, he gathers up about 10 of the Ansars, and he's saying, this is the man that used to torture me back in back in uh, Mecca. His story his is pretty popular by now. He tells the companions, or really these are Ansars, they're all companions, but these are Ansars specifically. Um, basically Muslims from who were originally from Medina. He tells them, this is the man that used to torture me. Let's get him. I do not want this one to go back to Mecca. So Bilal leads this group of Ansars to rush past Abdurrahman ibn Auf and attack Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Zayd ibn Dathina was among that group of Ansars with Bilal. So they 
push past Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Abdurrahman ibn Auf tries to protect Umay ibn Khalaf. He tries to call off Bilal and the Ansars. They don't listen to him. They basically overpower Abdurrahman ibn Auf. They didn't hurt him or anything. They basically pushed him aside, pounce on Umay ibn Khalaf, and essentially kill him, cut him to pieces. And so now, back in Mecca now, Zayd ibn Dathina, he's known, it's known that he's among these, this, um, he was among Bilal's group of uh, of Ansars who went to attack um, Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Now Umayyah's son, Safwan ibn Umayyah, he wants his revenge. And so Safwan's family, they purchase Zayd from the pagans, and now they're getting ready to execute Zayd. So they keep Zayd for a little while, but um, eventually it's time to take him out and kill him. And they take Zayd out um uh, they didn't want to kill him in around the Kaaba. They wanted to take him like in an area. I can't say behind the Kaaba because there is no behind the Kaaba. But they want to take him in an area outside of what's considered the Haram, the sacred uh, sanctuary of uh, the Kaaba. So they take him to a to an area outside of the Haram, and they're getting ready to kill him. And a group of Quraysh gather around to witness. Among this group of Quraysh was Abu Sufyan. So Abu Sufyan, he's there, he's witnessing Zayd, um, his hands are tied behind his back, they're laying Zayd's head down, uh, getting ready to behead him. And Abu Sufyan, he goes up to Zayd and he makes a promise to Zayd that if you can just say this phrase, if you would just say that you would prefer for Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to be here, well, he didn't say Sallallahu he said, if you would prefer for Prophet Muhammad to take your place I will convince them to let you go. He didn't ask Zay to give up Islam. He didn't ask Zay to um, call the prophet a liar or anything like that. He just said, do you not wish that the prophet was here in your place? And Zayd said that even though his life was in danger, <laughs> was really about to end, Zayd said he would not exchange his life even to protect the prophet وسلم, from a thorn prick. Even from just being pricked by a thorn, he would not trade his life even for that. And Abu Sufyan shook his head, and Abu Sufyan uh, stepped back, and Zayd was beheaded. After that encounter, Abu Sufyan mentioned how he'd never seen any group of people who loved another person. he never seen any person who loved another person the way the companions loved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa so that's one of the companions who were killed at um, at Mecca. The next one was Khubayb ibn Adi. So the two that were captured, Zayd and Khubayb. And Khubayb was once again purchased by a family who wanted revenge for um, one of their family members who was killed during one of the previous battles, either Badr or Uhud. In this case, um, Khubayb was purchased by Hujer ibn Abi Al-Hab, and then he was turned over to Uqba ibn al-Hadith. Uqba's father, al-Hadith, was killed by a Khubayb during the Battle of Uhud. And so Khubayb is taken um, into possession by Uqba's, fa Uqba's family, and uh, he's basically waiting for his turn to die also. It seems to be, it doesn't, uh, the historical books don't mention how long it took, but it seems there were several days 
between the actual purchase of the prisoner and when they were actually execute, executed. Maybe they were waiting for a certain day. Maybe they had to make sure all the ducks were in a row, but they weren't killed immediately. They stuck around for some days. Of course, they were prisoners. They were tied up. They had guards and stuff over them. They got tied up or chained up underneath us and stuff like that. But in both cases, both Zaid and Khobabe, it seemed as if um, both of these uh, executions took place several days after they were um, they actually uh, purchased and captured. In any case, um, while Khabib, while he was uh, waiting um, in capture, um, he had asked for to borrow, he asked to borrow a razor so that he could shave. While he was shaving, one of the babies of the family that was holding him prisoner came crawling over and crawled into his lap. Now remember once again, this is a this is a pagan family, pagan Quraysh. Now the mother sees the baby. Now this mother, I don't know what relation she is to Uqba, who is the one who purchased Khubayb, but she sees her child crawling over to Khubayb. And of course, and Khubayb is holding a razor now. He's shaving himself. Uh, so he's preparing for death. So most likely he's um, probably just shaving his beard down a little bit. Not shaving. Obviously they didn't shave all off, everything off back then, but he's probably just shaving it down a little bit. Maybe just shaving the mustache or trimming it down. But he's... Um, uh, the mother sees a child crawling over to Khabib, and of course, this is an opportunity for Khabib to use a child as ransom and try to try to escape, or maybe just get revenge. Says, "Hey, I'm going to die anyway. Let me take out one of your one of your guys." And the mother begins to panic when she sees the baby so close to Khabib. And the baby, according to some narrations, actually crawled up on Khabib's lap. And Khabib's hands are at least free enough. While I'm pretty, I don't know if they had him completely free. Maybe they just chained his legs or ankles. But his hands are free enough to shave. So he has some freedom. And so when the baby is crawling, the mother starts screaming. And Khabib notices how the mother's reacting. And he puts it all together. He's like, oh, wait, you think I'm going to hurt your child? No, no, no. He he calms down, saying, "No, treachery is not one of our customs. That's not that, that's not the thing that I would do. You don't have to worry. I'm not going to hurt your child. I'm not going to um, hurt your child or hold your child ransom or anything like that." And so, uh, eventually, the baby returns to the mother. And later on, that mother, eventually, I guess years later, everybody converts to Islam who wasn't killed in the battles. Later on, uh, this mother um, said that Khubayb was one of the most righteous people she had ever met. And she witnessed that she had seen Khubayb eating fruits like grapes, which were not in season at the time and which no one had given him. So this, this was, of course, an indication that he had received them through some sort of mystical, mystical means, some, some sort of spiritual way that Allah had spiritually provided for him while he was in prison or in capture. Eventually, um, the time comes to kill Khobayb, and Khobayb is taken once again, a uh, similar spot to where Zaid was taken, um, somewhere around where, um, outside the precincts of the Kaaba. And before they kill him, Khobayb, he asks for permission to pray to Rakats before he dies. And they, the Quraysh, they back off on this, and they give them permission to make his two Rakats. So he prays them, and um, he goes back to get into position for being executed. And he said, states that he would have prayed more, but he didn't want them to think he was afraid of death. And that's um, that started a tradition. Whenever people were about, well, Muslims particularly, were about to be executed, they will always ask the ask the executioner for permission to make two rakats. And if this sounds familiar, if you remember from 
um, season two of the Islamic History Podcast, a similar thing happened with Hujr ibn Adi, of course, in much more sadder and less noble situation, Hujr ibn Adi also went through a similar thing when he was about to be executed by um, Muawiyah, well, Muawiyah's government, basically, Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, who was at that time the uh, the caliph of the Muslim world. When Hujr ibn Adi was about to be executed, he also asked for permission to make two rakats, and he was granted it. He said similar words, I will pray more. I said that um, I don't want you to think that I'm afraid to die, and eventually he was executed also. But anyway, um, Khubayb's action started this tradition. And so what the family did, they did not behead Khubayb like um, they had done with Zaid. They, um, they tortured him, basically, basically tortured him to, tortured him to death. They... Um, the books they crucified him, but when we see crucified in the in the in the West, we think of the way Christians claim that Isa or Jesus Islam, was crucified with nails through the arms uh, or through the palms and through the feet. Um, I don't think that's what happened. He was put up on a cross, but most likely I believe he was tied to a cross. I don't think he was nailed to a cross or anything like that. I believe he was tied to a cross and strung up, and then the um the members of um, Okba's family took spears and stuff and started stabbing him, and poking him, stabbing, 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 basically dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of times over and over and over again until he, until he bled out and he died. So it was um, not in a way, I guess, death by a thousand cuts, basically. Not in a way where they just stab him with a heart and get it over once. No, they stab him with legs, side, piercing an organ here, piercing a lung there. And this is a horrible way to die. But basically, they took the spears and basically stabbed him to death. And they left him up there to, to bleed out. And eventually, he died. Uh, even though there's another narration that says that while he was strung up there on the cross, he never cried out in pain. The whole time that they were stabbing him uh, throughout this whole time, he never cried out in pain. So eventually, Khubayb dies, and he's left up there on the on the cross, and all the other people, uh, the Quraysh, they go ahead back home, and they leave a guard to watch over his body. Um, during the evening, uh, the ne- later that night, or maybe a couple nights later, during the evening, a man comes comes creeping by. This man is an assassin that the Prophet ﷺ has sent into Mecca, Okay, I'm going to get into this in a moment. This is an assassin who witnessed, who who saw Khubayb's body. He was a Muslim that the Prophet has sent into Mecca. He comes through at night. He sees Khubayb's body. He sneaks past the guard and cuts Khubayb's body down from the cross. And he means to try to carry Khubayb's body out of Mecca and take him back to Medina. But along, he, he gets a few paces and suddenly the guard recognizes him. The guard starts screaming. And so the assassin has to drop Khubayb's body and make a run for it. And as the assassin is running, he looks behind him and Khubayb's body is no longer there. And according to the narration as well, Khubayb's body disappeared. Some say they were swallowed by the earth to prevent the um the the pagan Quraysh from defiling or mutilating his body after his death. Allah knows best. So now let's, let's talk about this assassin. When I was doing the research for this story for this um, episode, I'd I'd heard of this guy, but why I did not know this man's story was interconnected between so many times of the Prophet's life. I mean. 
this guy who I'm about to talk about is an amazing yet wild character. His name was Ahmed ibn Omeya. No relation to um, Omeya ibn Khalaf or Safwan ibn Omeya, who we mentioned before. No relation to them at all from a totally different tribe. Okay? Anyway. Now, I mentioned how there are probably several days or maybe even several weeks between uh, while the companions who had been captured in Mecca were being held in Mecca. Okay? Uh, Zayd ibn Dathina was killed first. Eventually, the word gets back to the Prophet in Medina that Zayd was killed and executed. And so, in response, the Prophet sends Ahmed ibn Umayyah to Mecca to kill Abu Sufyan because Abu Sufyan was witnessed to have been there and to witness to have seen um, Zayd's death. And also, um, probably someone may have heard what. Um, um, Abu Sufyan had told Zayd that if don't you wish the Prophet was, in, was here in your place instead and so to send a message to the Quraysh and also for retaliation for killing for betraying him and killing two of his people well, they got, my bad six of his people um, the Prophet sent an assassin Amr ibn Umayyah to assassinate and kill Abu Sufyan and I'm not sure people really um, some Muslims might have this really romanticized um, idea about Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I mean, I take the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as being a man who was very practical. Of course, I accept all the religious and spiritual aspects of him. I believe he was, of course, the perfect man, the best being that we can get as Muslim, as Muslims. But in reality, he was dealing with a war. His people were being killed. People were being betrayed. And this, this is not the last betrayal that happened to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There was many more beyond this. His life was always in danger. He was in, in a constant state of war with the Quraysh his first couple of years. His community was on the verge of destruction all this time because he was surrounded by enemies. So please understand, the Prophet was dealing with a war. Okay, He wasn't walking around handing out pet, you know, roses and pamphlets and everything, trying to tell people to convert to Islam. Okay, He was dealing with a war, dealing with people who wanted to kill him. And what's basically... I don't know if you can call this medieval society because these these um, pre-Islamic Arabs are pretty darn brutal. Their rules were pretty brutal. Life was harsh back then. So I hope no one is surprised by the fact that the Prophet sent assassins to do certain things, to weaken his, his uh, opponents. I hope nobody feels bad about that. Let me go on now. So, Ahmed ibn Umayyah, what a guy. Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he was... Um, he had he was a muhajidun first of all he was not originally from mecca i believe he was from outside of mecca just based upon his name and his tribe but maybe he was from a small tribe in mecca i really don't know where he originated from i'm just going by his name but he was not one of the higher class in mecca whatever he was however he did come with the prophet from mecca to medina so he was a muhajidun and in fact he was the prophet's envoy to ethiopia when, um, well, back then it was called Abyssinia. When the um, when the Muslims were still in Mecca before the migration, we mentioned how several of them had migrated to Abyssinia to see with the Christian king there, who was known to be a good and righteous man. And so the king allowed them to stay in Mecca, but eventually the um, 
the Kodesh, they found out about it, and they sent Amr ibn As to try to convince An-Najashi, which was the um, title of the Ethiopian king, to send the Qureshi refugees back to Mecca. The Prophet sent Amr ibn Umayyah um, to to plead with the um, with the um, Ethiopian king to allow his companions to stay in Abyssinia while they were going through this difficulty with the Quraysh. Anyway, so just want you to know that Ahmed ibn Umayyah had been with the Prophet for quite a while. Ahmed ibn Umayyah also had a reputation, and we're going to get to that in a moment. So um, anyway, so, so you know, just so you know, Ahmed ibn, ibn, ibn Umayyah was not new to the game. So Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he, of course, gets the order to assassinate um, um, Abu Sufyan. So Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he travels to Mecca, and my estimation, he gets to Mecca perhaps just a few days, or maybe it's a day or so before Hubeib is executed. And so he travels with one of the Ansars. So as Ahmed ibn Umayyah and one Ansar going into Mecca. Now, when they enter Mecca, the Ansar, he wants to circumambulate the Kaaba. He wants to go around the Kaaba the seven times and pray to Rakats. Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he doesn't want to do that because he has a reputation. Ahmed ibn Umayyah, before he had accepted Islam, he was a bandit. He was a criminal, basically. And you're going to see that you know, some of those traits didn't really leave him. But he was, um, he was known to be a pretty tough guy. And he was well known in Mecca, and he was afraid that if he went circling around the Kaaba, that people would notice him and recognize him. So he doesn't want to go anywhere near the Kaaba, because of course there's always going to be a lot of people there. But the Ansar, who's probably from Medina, not probably he was from Medina, doesn't get to see the Kaaba that often. He wants to, he wants to go and do his circumambulation and praise to Rakas. He keeps pestering um, Ahmed ibn Umayyah, and finally Ahmed relents and says, "Fine, okay, let's go to the Kaaba." And they go to the Kaaba, and sure enough, as soon as they get there, someone recognizes Ahmed ibn Umayyah, and they realize that if Ahmed ibn Umayyah is here, he's not here for a good thing, because he has such a reputation from the past. I mean, they know he's Muslim, but they also know his past as a bandit and a criminal. And so the, the call goes out, and Quraysh start rushing towards them, towards them at, at the Kaaba. And Ahmed and the Ansar, they have to rush off, and they, they run out of, Medi out of Mecca and run into um, one of the caves in the surrounding hills. Really, it wasn't outside of Mecca. It was really the caves and the hills surrounding the Kaaba. And if you make Hajj or if you make Umrah and you visit Mecca, um, even though these hills are being flattened and destroyed now for all the development going on these days. You can still see the remnants of some of these hills. Um, so if you haven't made Hajj or Umrah yet, you want to go within the next couple of years before they're all gone because they are, they are quickly disappearing. Um, it is what it is. I have no opinion on that whatsoever. But yeah, those hills around Mecca, around the Kaaba really are quickly disappearing. So they go hiding in the cave and they stay there overnight. Um, trying to keep away from the Quraysh, um, until one of the Quraysh come riding by on his horse. And Amr and his companion, and the Ansar that is, they're hiding in. Amr is afraid that this Quraysh, who's riding on the horse, might see them and then give out the word and and, and then alert the rest of the of, uh, of Mecca that where they're hiding. So as the, the Qureshi rider comes going past, Amr jumps out and stabs the guy. And the guy falls down, and as he falls out, he starts screaming. And so Amr kind of defeated his own purpose by stabbing the guy. He alerted everybody to his presence anyway. And so the, uh, 
the Quraysh start screaming and people hear it all over the place and now start, they start rushing towards the area where Ahmed and the Ansar were hiding. And so now they also know that Ahmed is in the, the vicinity within those caves and so they start searching all over the caves, the cave network and these hills around, around the Kaaba. And meanwhile, um, Ahmed and the Ansar, they just go deeper into the cave to try and stay hidden as much as possible. And so they stay hiding out for about two more days until the, the commotion dies down. Ahmed has already killed one guy now, okay? Just let's not forget that. He's killed one guy and because the man who he stabbed eventually died. So Ahmed waits until the commotion dies down for about two days. And then he, he uh, him and the Ansar finally sneak back out. And Ahmed realizes that the mission is pretty much over. They know that he's here and it's going to be really difficult. He's there on alert right now. It's going to be really difficult for him to get to, to, for him to get to Abu Sufyan. So he's ready to just head on back to Medina and give up on the mission. But as they were, they were preparing to leave, uh, the Ansar who was with Ahmed, he, he sees Khubeib's body up on the cross. We mentioned how Khubeib was, was recently was killed just around the same time. So they see Khubeib's body, dead and everything, hanging on the, on the cross, and the Ansar doesn't want to leave without taking Khubeib's body down. So Amr, he says that he'll go get Amr's body, he'll go get Khubeib's body, and tells the Ansar to stay, stay low, stay hidden, and if anything spooks him, if anything happens strange, to hurry back to Medina and tell the Prophet what happened. So Amr, he waits until nighttime and he sneaks over to where Khubeib's body was. And he, he cuts down Khubeib's body. And as we mentioned already, he tried to get away, but the guard saw him. The guard um, uh, set out the alert, made a big ruckus. Khubeib has to drop the body. He makes a run for it. And as he looks back, Khubeib's body's gone. The Ansar, who was hiding a little ways away, he sees all this happening. And as soon as he sees the guard gives the alert, he flies off to Medina. He's out of there. And. That's it for the Ansar. So he gets back to Medina long before um, Amr does. Amr, however, he can't run away. He can't run away back to Medina. He instead goes back into the hills and back into the caves and hides out in the caves once again. I mean, this guy was a bandit, so he probably had done this many times before. He probably had all his hiding spots and everything around before. I'm kind of guessing here, but considering his reputation, Amr seems to kind of know what he's doing. Even though he messes up a little bit here and there, he's extremely bold, but... He seems to know what he's doing as far as I'm hiding out in these caves. So he goes out to hide. He goes and hides in the caves. And once again, waits for a while for the um, for the commotion to die down. And eventually he sneaks out and um, heads, heads on back to Medina. On his way back to Medina, he hides out in another uh, cave network in between Mecca and Medina. He's outside of Mecca now, but on his way to Medina. And he he sits in another cave network, just resting or spending the night or, or whatever. And a one-eyed Bedouin shepherd, a one-eyed Bedouin shepherd, comes by with his sheep, and he sits down next to an Ahmed, and they just start talking. You start chatting like two regular guys. And eventually, the Bedouin starts singing. He starts singing a song talking about how he would never become a Muslim. Out of the blue, don't know where that came from. So I don't know if Ahmed was spooked by that and maybe thought that this Bedouin was trying to give a hint that he knows who Ahmed was or that he was trying to call the pagans to where his location was. I don't know if Ahmed was just angered by what the Bedouin was singing as if maybe he took it as an insult or something. I don't know. But when that Bedouin fell asleep, Ahmed did something pretty gross. He 
after the Bedouin fell asleep, Ahmed took out his knife, the same way he stabbed the other guy, and stabbed the Bedouin in his good eye. Stabbed it all the way through as deep down as possible into his eye until it came out the back of his neck, according to what Ahmed's own statement said. And killed the Bedouin with that. And then he goes off on the run again. And he's on his running on back to Medina. By the way, distance between Mecca and Medina about 200 miles or so. So this is several days of of um, of Amr uh, ibn Umayyah running and hiding out, going from place to place to place, working his way back to Medina. I just want to make sure you understand that. Anyhow, um, eventually he gets to he gets he gets to a village that's fairly close to Medina, uh, in the in the vicinity of Medina. When he arrives at this village, he recognizes that there are two Quraysh spies. So, as you can see, the the Quraysh and the Muslims are spying on each other. I mean, they were they had their own little intelligence network working together. These guys are working against each other. So, once again, don't be too put off. But if you hear the prophet or something doing something, that might seem quote unquote underhanded or using, um, I don't know, like special forces techniques against his enemies. I don't know how you want to put it, but don't be put off about that. He was fighting against an enemy who were doing the same thing to him and would have killed him in a second if they had the chance and actually tried to do it on many times. So just want to make sure that's clear. Anyway, Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he arrives at this village near Medina and he recognizes two Quraysh spies there. And so Ahmed, he confronts him. He's like, so he immediately confronts him. He tells him, he demands that they surrender to him. He knows who they are. He knows that they're from Quraysh. He knows that they're pagans. He knows that they're not there for anything good. And so he tells them to surrender. And at first they refuse. And they're like, no, I'm not going to surrender to you. Who are you? We're not going to surrender. We're not afraid of you. So Amr takes out his bow and arrow and shoots one of them, dead. And the, other guy, the, other, other, the other spy is like, okay, I surrender. And that's it. So Amr takes him and ties his hands up and takes him on back to Medina. So let's, let's tally up the body count that Amr ibn Umayyah had. First, um, the Qurayshi rider near the caves then the Bedouin, and now this guy. So he killed at least three people, never touched never touched Abu Sufyan. He killed three people in this whole enterprise trying to get to um, 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 Abu Sufyan. Yeah, Ahmed ibn Umayyah was something else. Anyway, he ties his hands up, and he takes um, this spy back to Prophet Muhammad Sassam in Medina, and he tells the prophet something about all his exploits, and the prophet listens to it, and he just laughs, and he congratulates him, and praises him, and prays for him. So obviously, the prophet approved of Ahmed ibn Umayyah's actions, and I'm not sure what happened to the spy after that. Most likely, the prophet either questioned him and um, may have killed him, may have, sent him, may have ransomed him back to Medina, uh, back to Mecca. I really don't know. Um, any case, so that's the story of the expedition of Rajia. And believe it or not, our our fun with Ahmed ibn Umayyah is not over. His story continues later on. Probably, um, really, in a few, really, the next episode, this um, Ahmed ibn Umayyah comes into play again. But for this episode, we're finished with what, we wanted, what I wanted to cover in this episode. So, inshallah, we'll see you in the next episode, which will be, I think, uh, episode 22, I believe. And we'll, dis we'll continue discussing the events of the fourth year of the Hijrah. So, until then... Signing off. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.